Hello, and welcome to Code Conversations, the podcast series from ECNM Magazine that focuses on interpreting the National Electrical Code. I'm Ellen Parson, Editor-in-Chief of ECNM, and I'm sitting down today with NEC expert Russ LeBlanc to discuss code revisions and difficult-to-decipher concepts surrounding the 2023 NEC, all in 10 minutes or less. Most of you probably already know Russ. He's a master electrician, electrical instructor, trainer, certified electrical inspector, and longtime contributor and code consultant to ECNM Magazine, bringing you some of the most popular pieces of content, including what's wrong here, moving violations videos, and illustrated code catastrophes. For today's episode, we're going to talk about the confusion that comes up when connecting metal faceplates to an effective ground fault path, specifically in healthcare settings, which means interpreting the requirements of Section 517.13, on equipment grounding conductor for receptacles and fixed electrical equipment in patient care spaces. That's a mouthful for that one. So Russ, I know you've received some questions about metal face plate do's and don'ts uh, when it comes to healthcare installations. So could you first give us a little bit of background on this issue and what types of installations we're talking about here? Of course. Uh, Wiring serving patient care spaces of healthcare facilities must comply with the requirements of 517.13 517.13 A and B. 517.13 A requires branch circuits serving patient care spaces to be installed in a metal raceway system or a cable having a metal armor or metal sheath assembly. The metal raceway system, the metal cable armor, or the metal sheath assembly must itself qualify as an equipment grounding conductor as specified in 250.118. Additionally, section 517.13b requires certain items to be connected to an insulated equipment grounding conductor installed within those metal wiring methods specified in 517.13a. Well, it looks like you definitely need to pay attention then to the particulars when it comes to patient care settings. Why is that the case and what causes these applications to be different? Several of the wiring uh, requirements, uh, these special wiring requirements for healthcare facilities involve what many people would call redundant grounding. But I think that terminology is a bit of a misnomer. I think the term dual grounding or multiple grounding might be more appropriate. Uh, one dictionary defines redundant as not needed or superfluous. So using the term redundant grounding seems to imply that one of the equipment grounding conductors isn't needed and is merely installed as a precaution in case the other one is interrupted somehow. And while that may be functionally true, another main purpose of having two ground fault current paths instead of only one is that it will also lower the overall impedance of the bonding and grounding path and is better able to keep all non-current carrying metal parts of the electrical system at the same potential. And this is especially important for patients who have compromised heart functions or an irregular heart rhythm, if they were to come in contact with two different pieces of electrical equipment, having even a small difference of potential between the exposed metal parts, they would be at risk of being injured or even killed where healthy persons might easily tolerate it. Many other rules in 517, Article 517, also require these dual or multiple grounding and bonding paths. As for the branch circuits serving patient care spaces, the items required to be connected to the insulated equipment ground 
include the grounding terminals of receptacles other than isolated ground receptacles, metal outlet boxes, metal device boxes, metal enclosures, and any other non-current carrying conductive surfaces of fixed electrical equipment operating at over 100 volts, likely to become energized where they're subject to personal contact. This includes metal device plates too. However, exception two allows metal face plates to be connected to an effective ground fault current path by means of metal mounting screws, securing the metal face plate to a metal yoke or metal strap of a receptacle, and that's important, a receptacle, or directly to a metal outlet box. Wow, okay, well, that's a lot um, to remember exactly. And so thanks for explaining all that. It shows why it's so important to know that with that specific application. Uh, so what about a metal switch plate like a stainless steel switch plate? Well, that's where it gets a little confusing. Apparently, exception two does not apply to metal switch plates secured to a metal device yoke or strap. It only allows the metal yoke or strap of receptacles to be used to establish the effective ground fault current path for metal face plates. It does not allow the yoke of a switch to establish the effective ground fault current path. This means the literal wording in 517.13b13 requires the metal face plate for a switch to be connected to an insulated copper equipment grounding conductor, unless that switch plate is secured directly to a metal outlet box. I, I suppose the plate could be drilled out and have a lug or a crimp connector attached with a nut and bolt for connection of the equipment grounding conductor, but I'm not sure that that's the intent though. What do you think the code's intent is in this case um, and how can electrical professionals navigate this situation? The wording in 517.13b exception two was revised in 2020 to coordinate with the grounding requirements for receptacle plates in 406.6b. But unfortunately, the grounding requirements for switch plates were apparently overlooked. Thankfully, NFPA 99, the Healthcare Facilities Code, clarifies this conundrum. Section 6.3. .2.5.1.4b4, I love that numbering system, okay. of the 2021 and 2024 editions allows metal faceplates to be connected to the equipment grounding conductor by means of metal mounting screws securing the faceplate to either a grounded outlet box or grounded wiring device. And this applies to switch plates as well as receptacle plates. Okay, so which code? code takes precedence? That's a great question. Since NFPA 99 applies specifically to healthcare facilities, while the NEC applies generally to all types of occupancies, NFPA 99 should be followed for installations in healthcare facilities. And we can okay. say that about any of the NFPA codes and standards. When there's a code that applies specifically versus generally, the specific code should okay. be followed. Mm -hmm. In a bit of a twist, neither the NEC nor NFPA 99 require metal device boxes or metal outlet boxes to be used with the metal raceways or metal cables required in patient care spaces. Using non-metallic boxes could defeat that dual grounding or multiple grounding paths required by 517.13. For example, if a non-metallic box were installed 
for a receptacle, the grounding terminal of the receptacle, the yoke, and the metal faceplate would only be connected to the insulated equipment grounding conductor and would not be bonded to the metal raceway connected to the non-metallic box. Perhaps that will be clarified in future editions of the NEC or NFPA 99. Well, what should installers do in the meantime then? Well, section 314.3, exception one in the NEC does permit non-metallic boxes to be used with metal raceways and metal cables where internal bonding means are provided between all raceway and cable entries. But in my interpretation, and while it may not be specifically prohibited by code, when it comes to wiring in patient care spaces, metal outlet boxes and metal device boxes should be used with the required metal raceways or metal cables to ensure the lowest impedance, most effective ground fault current path as possible. Okay, well, it definitely sounds like a good idea that if they're unsure, they should talk to their local AHJ for clarification. It looks like we're out of time for this one. Thank you, Russ, for sharing your unique insights from the field and industry knowledge with us today. In closing, I'd also like to thank managing editor Ellie Coggins and editor Michael Morris for editing and putting these podcasts together. This podcast is produced by ECNM Magazine, part of the portfolio of Endeavor Business Media Publications. That's it for today's Code Conversation. Please let me know if you have any pressing NEC podcast topics you'd like to listen to in the future. And don't forget to check out our website for more podcasts and other great content resources for electrical construction professionals. Thank you and have a great day.